chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we, we are in desperate need of your help as we come to this word this morning, your word, your words written down by your apostle for the preservation for your people so that we might know you. We desperately need to know you, God. And in this desperate need, we have an incredible help. We have your Holy Spirit and we lean into Him, we trust in Him this morning to speak and to be heard, <clears throat> to change our lives. We, we trust, Holy Spirit, that you are able to and that you desire to speak life to sinners lost and dead in their sins they might be born again as your word is proclaimed. Help us all and we will give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, don't, um, don't raise your hands. Don't poke your neighbor in answer to this question. You ever notice somebody just lied all the time? Don't look. Don't, y'all don't look. Don't look. Don't look to the side. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, you get to the point where you really, literally can't believe anything that they say. You're like, they're lying. And so you don't pay any attention to what they say. And they tell you that they met so-and-so and that they were on an airplane and Michael Buble, I don't know, somebody was on there. You're like, yeah, right. You know, and they're getting married. They just met somebody in Canada. Like, who would marry somebody from Canada, right? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? You know those people. I've been that person. I lied like a rug from the time I was little till I got a little older. <laughs> Whoa, that was fun. That was not the spirit moving. That was the storm moving. But it's frustrating. It, it, it's frustrating and sad and angering 
What, what if Will was a liar and everything he just said, you're like, he don't mean that. It's terrible. But what if it's true? What if you got somebody that tells it? Will stick his head up back there. What if you got somebody that tells the truth consistently and they tell you something, you're like, ooh, I believe that. Why? Because they tell the truth. Let me ask you this morning. Do you know, do you believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is true? We say it. We stake our new life on it. And the veracity, the the truth of the Scripture is under attack, as it always has been. Nothing new. We're not a special generation that's overtly persecuted. Get over all that. Do you believe, as we come into this passage today, that these are the very words of God? And if they are, what are you going to do about it? Because you're held accountable for it. And I'm not threatening you. I'm offering you hope this morning. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. Well, would you looky-looky there, right? Our, our passage today starts with what word? For. Seems like that happens a lot, right? We're getting these blocks. So let's visit where we've been, and that'll lead us up to this passage today and what this for is there for. So we've seen Peter introduce himself at the very beginning as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he's saying he serves Jesus and he was sent by Jesus. And then we saw the provisions of God for his people in the amazing truths contained in verses 3 to 11. Everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, partaking of the divine nature, adding virtue to faith and all, and so much great stuff. And then last week, Peter said he was going to make it his priority to remind those reading this letter of all of this until he died. And why? For, why would Peter say what he has said, and why would he want to remind them of it until he was crucified, which he was about to be? For, and things are about to get real. And I mean really, it's about to get real. Like, for real. Real. For, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses of His majesty. Hmm. Okay. So what's Peter saying? So, so much is what he's saying. He's saying that all of this that he's saying up until this point and and what follows is true. It's real. It's flesh and bone. It's historical and magical. And Peter says that in all of this that he's saying and reminding them of, It's not made up. We didn't follow, he didn't follow, cleverly devised myths. And he says, we didn't follow. And who's he speaking of there? We. I'm going to tell you, he's speaking of the apostles. Those who had been with Jesus while he was on the earth, teaching, preaching, healing, serving and such. The apostolic we. 
And that'll be clearer in the next two verses. But for now, we'll move on with the knowledge that, that the we here refers to Peter and the apostles. And technically, two other apostles. He says that they did not follow cleverly devised myths. He's about to make reference to things that they saw when they were, when, when they were with Jesus. Amazing things. Mind-boggling things. And you can be sure that by this point, so again, we're, we're in the mid-60s AD, so we're 30-ish years past Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. You can be sure that there were plenty of stories about who was with Jesus, what Jesus did, how His followers were cannibals who ate flesh and drank blood, and so many other things. And there were also surely many inflated people who were making up stories so that they could be with the in crowd of Jesus' followers to the extent that they were probably making bank off their great stories, which probably as often as not weren't true at all. These hucksters were bound to have spun some tall tales about their involvement with Jesus and His mighty works. And they were basking in their own glory. We also know from Matthew's Gospel that Jesus' opponents were making stuff up too. Matthew 28, 11 to 15, and I don't have control up here if you can keep up on the screen here. Matthew 28, 11 to 15, we see this. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city. This is after Jesus' resurrection. Some of the guard went into the city, the guard that was at the tomb, that they were supposed to be guarding to make sure the dead man didn't come out, <laughs> or that nobody took the dead man. And they told the chief priests all that had taken place, that the stone was rolled away, Jesus was gone, his body wasn't there. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, here comes a myth, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So all in all, there were plenty of tales, T-A-L-E-S, going around about Jesus in the years following His ascension into heaven. Jesus is gone. He's in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in a physical body, literally. And tales that covered all aspects and all opinions about Jesus are being woven and spun. Even now, 2,000 years after all the events of the Gospels and the Acts and the Epistles and Revelation, people have opinions about Jesus. People make up stuff about Jesus. And there are, even today, especially today, plenty of extra-biblical stories, stories outside of the Bible about Jesus and His followers that have and that are going around. Who believes what depends on a lot of different factors, right? And as we work through this passage today, let me ask you again this question. Do you believe the Scriptures to be the Word of God? Second question, what do you believe about Jesus? And why do you believe what you believe about Jesus? So hold on to that. We'll address that later. But for now, remember, Peter is saying that he and the other apostles didn't follow cleverly devised myths. When? Why would he say that here? Because of what they did share. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter's saying that he and the other apostles didn't follow made up stories when they were speaking of, when they were making known the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Peter and the guys were all about making known Jesus and His acts and His teachings. Jesus had commanded them in what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18-20, which you really ought to have stored in your head and heart. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The command is to make disciples. That's the only command in the commission. And in order to make disciples, they had to teach these people who they were turning into disciples, they had to teach them to observe what? All that Jesus had commanded them, the apostles. So the apostles were the seedbed that initially received the word, the teachings of Jesus. Jesus looked at them and said, Now go out into all the world, turn people into disciples of me, and in order to do that, you're going to have to teach them what I've taught you. My commands. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Peter's saying that as they set out to fulfill that commission in the power of the Holy Spirit, they didn't make things up. They didn't adopt or adapt to what the culture was saying. They didn't adopt or adapt to any of the stories that people were making up about Jesus. They're, oh, that's a good one. We'll keep that one. They weren't doing that. Instead, Peter says, they made known to you, the readers, these apostles made known to the disciples who would come after them, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he follows that by saying, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. And there it is. They didn't need myths. They didn't have to rely on others' reports. They were eyewitnesses of all that Jesus had done. And John says at the end of his gospel, if everything was written down that Jesus did, there aren't enough books in the world that would contain them. They didn't need other people's stories. They were eyewitnesses. They saw it. The word literally means, eyewitnesses means a close observer who can describe what happened at an event. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward, right? But note that, an eyewitness, a close observer who can describe what happened at an event. It's like that person telling the story of what the tornado sounded like in the trailer park, right? Or the guy on Monsters Incorporated picked me up with his mind powers and shook me like a dog, right? Which was not true, by the way. That was a cleverly devised myth. But the apostles were eyewitnesses, close observers, who can describe what happened at an event. They personally see the event and they describe what they have seen accurately. What's something that you've seen that you would uniquely be qualified to describe to other people? I mean, you saw it and you relay what you saw to someone else. Well, Peter had spent three plus years with Jesus walking about, listening, watching, observing, paying attention, bumbling, stumbling, and sharing life with Jesus. Was Peter perfect? Of course not. But he was an eyewitness. An eyewitness of what? He says here that he and his fellow apostles were eyewitnesses of Jesus' majesty. That word majesty is defined by Strong's Dictionary as mighty power magnificence. And if you go back to Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Christ, he wouldn't be anything that people would go, ooh, look at him. People would wag their heads and say, ugh, it's marred beyond description. 
There's nothing appealing about the physical nature of Jesus that would draw people just because of what He looked like. But Peter's saying, we saw His magnificence. We saw His majesty. We saw His life. We saw the majesty of God in this human being. But Peter's talking about a certain kind of majesty. Yeah, they saw His visible splendor, His greatness and magnificence. They saw it for themselves. This man, Jesus, who was God in the flesh, did things that normal people just didn't do. That normal people just couldn't do. But Jesus did it. And Jesus could do them. And Peter saw them. Peter saw Jesus provide a miraculous catch of fish after Peter and his buddies had fished all night and caught nothing. Peter saw blind people all of a sudden be able to see. He saw lame people get up and walk. He saw dead people come to life again. He saw a few morsels of food feed thousands of people. He saw Jesus walking on the water. He actually went out and walked a little bit with them there. And much, 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 much more. But what he's speaking of here in our passage today is one incredible, particularly incredible passage which we'll get to in verses 17 and 18. For when he, speaking of Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. So what's Peter talking about here? Jesus receiving honor and glory from the Father. God's voice calling Jesus His beloved Son and saying He is well pleased with Him on a holy mountain. What's Peter referring to? It's the transfiguration, right? We get Mark's account of that in Mark 9, 1-8 and we pick Mark's account because Mark probably got his eyewitness account from Peter according to tradition. So Mark 9, we're going to read 1-8 first. And he, Jesus, said to the apostles, to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So four men go up this mountain. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who have been dead for a long time. And they were talking with Jesus, those two men were. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, or tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he, Peter, (laughs) did not know what to say, for they, Peter, James, and John, were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them. And a loud voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Now, we've heard that hundreds of times, I would guess. And we don't have time to break all this down, but we can look at it and see what Peter's talking about in his letter in our passage today. Jesus had told His disciples that they would see the kingdom of God come with power before they died. Or some of them would. Then He took three men, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountain. Again, this is Jesus' inner circle. If there was anybody that I would trust even more out of the apostles, even though I trust them all, 
those three guys saw things that the others didn't get to see. These three were privy to some of the biggest things in Jesus' time on earth, including this event. So here the four of them go up this mountain and something pretty wild happens. You ever seen anything like this, anybody? You have not. You don't have to answer that question. They go up the mountain. Jesus was transfigured, which means His being changed. He and His clothes turned radiant, intensely white, and Elijah and Moses showed up and talked with them. Again, four men went up, and at one point there are six men there. <laughs> Peter jumps in and wants to build worship sites. That's what the tents, tabernacles, things mean. One for Jesus, one for Elijah, who represents the prophets, and one for Moses, who represents the law. So the law, the prophets, and Jesus are standing there. And Mark, who was Peter's disciple, says that Peter said this because he didn't know what to say. <laughs> oh, let's order a pizza. I don't know. Let's do something here. Why, why didn't he know what to say? Because he was terrified. Now, pause there for a second. Peter, James, and John see their rabbi, this normal, ordinary-looking man, their friend. They see him turn blindingly white. The two pillars of the Jewish faith show up, <laughs> chatting this blazingly white Jesus up. Hey, what's up? And Peter's like, uh, we can build some tents if that works for you all. And I could, I just see him kind of in his head after that going, like pulling a Hagrid. I should not have said that. I should not have said that. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. What? I didn't know. I'm terrified. But he was just flabbergasted, as you would be too, by the way. He was trying to make this supernatural thing more natural, more normal. But it didn't work because after Peter said that, a cloud overshadows them and a voice, no rather the voice, the very voice of God, the infinite creator of the universe, speaks from the cloud. This just keeps getting weirder and better and greater. And the voice says... This, this man that you just saw turned blindingly white, this man standing here talking to Moses and Elijah is my beloved son. Listen to him. Which is a nice way of saying shut up. And then, poof! It's all over. And poor them, all they got now is just Jesus. Like he had been before all this happened. I don't know if it took 10 seconds, 30 minutes. I don't know. I don't know how long it took. I don't know if they know. Maybe wibbly-wobbly stuff happened and God, maybe like no time passed. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they were existing in another dimension or something. I don't know. But Peter knows what he saw. Peter knows what he heard. And then check this out in the next two verses. Mark 9, 9, 9 through 10. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged these three men to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Now get that. They had just seen unspeakable things, incredible things, wonderful things. They saw Moses and Elijah. Now that's pretty cool. Moses, yeah, I saw him once. You did not see Moses. Yeah, I did. I saw him on the mountains. Elijah saw him too. You didn't see Elijah. Yes, I did. 
Oh, and Jesus got like crazy white, which is, has nothing to do with race, by the way. It's just it's white. It's light. It's glory. It's blinding. And, and we heard God speak. No, you didn't. Y'all are up there eating mushrooms, Peter. No, 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 no. So Jesus said, you know what? Just don't even talk about it until I come back from the dead. Now imagine sitting on that secret for a little while. They're not even telling their buddies. What'd y'all do up there? Can't talk about it. Jesus said we couldn't. Oh, okay. Y'all are special. Boy, you don't know how special we are. What we saw. We'll tell you later though. When Jesus comes back from the dead. What are you talking about? Y'all lost your mind. (laughs) So get that. They had just seen Moses and Elijah. They'd seen Jesus in blinding glory. They had heard the very voice of God. And Jesus says, hey, let's keep this on the DL until I come back from the dead, fellas. Yeah, okay, all normal, nothing to see here. Let's just move along. Well, now, as Peter writes this second letter, which again is 30-some years removed from this Jesus' resurrection thing, and Peter's referring to this event and saying, y'all, I was there. I saw it myself. I heard that voice. So please, please pay attention to everything I say. Because I saw it. And I heard it. And it's all true. Flesh and blood. Father, Son, and Spirit true. And I think Peter refers to the transfiguration event because it appeals to the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual parts of him and all his readers. He saw it. He heard it. It scared him to death. He spoke. God spoke. Jesus. Moses. Elijah spoke. It happened. And Jesus said to sit on it until after all the necessary events transpired after it. Can you imagine being at that event? Being there and seeing that and hearing that and feeling that? Only Peter, James, and John got to witness it. And I guess it might have been a little easier to tell as believable after the same guy you're talking about died and came back to life. But still, it's quite the story. Tell me again, Peter, what happened? No, never mind. You're crazy. And I think Peter mentions it here as a way of saying, I have seen some stuff, y'all. We saw the honor. We saw the glory. We heard the voice of God. We were there with Him. So He had not cleverly devised myths, but eyewitness accounts. Even accounts as wonderful and hard to believe as the transfiguration. Peter is saying, folks, I am not pulling your leg. I'm not trying to be famous myself. I want you to believe what I'm saying because it's the glorious truth about our glorious Lord. And that's why I'm going to remind you of this stuff until I die. Because it's all true. I saw it. And it's about Jesus which is very important as we move into the next verses. We'll read 19 through 21 and then kind of go back through them and dig back through them. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along 
by the Holy Spirit. My goodness, that is life-changing. That is earth-shattering truth right there. If it's true. Absolutely loaded with truths and implications for every person hearing that read. Every person. You say, well, I don't believe it. Still has incredible implications for you. So what does it mean when Peter says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed back in verse 19. Well, he had just conveyed the experience of the transfiguration, and now he's saying this event makes all the prophecies leading up to it make sense. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophecies that pointed to a Savior, a Jewish Messiah for the people of God. Jesus is the fulfillment, the embodiment of all those things, and the transfiguration proves that. The law, the prophets, God Himself verified in this event. With the visual glory, with the voice of God, with the law and the prophets literally conversing with Jesus there, all that was told about Jesus before He came, now all those things are fulfilled in and through Him. And then He's going to march to Jerusalem, He's going to die on a cross, He's going to be buried, He's going to stay dead, and then He's going to come back alive. Just like He said He was going to do. Just like all the prophecies said that He would do. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who was coming to save His people from their sins. And now, Peter is saying, we don't just have prophetic words, we have the Word. We have the Word in flesh, the very Word of God, made more fully confirmed. God had said it before, but now He has done it. The prophecies were true. Now they're more fully confirmed because they came to fruition. They came to pass. They were true. And remember, Peter is an eyewitness to all of this. He saw it more fully confirmed. Him and James and John on the mountain, and then following Jesus' resurrection, we know that at one time there were at least 500 people who saw Jesus alive, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. They saw the risen Christ after He'd been dead. I'm sorry, that's next week. That's for this week too. Peter says we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. And while Peter's still referring to him and the apostles as we, he's saying it to his readers and thus to us as well. We too! All of us! We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We do. So, then what? We would do well to pay attention, Peter says, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now what's that mean? Well, him saying we would do well to pay attention, that's pretty easy, right? We all would do well. It would be good and right to pay attention to what the eyewitness is saying. All would do well. It would be good and right to pay attention to what the eyewitness is saying. Maybe today you're sitting here and you doubt the truth of the Bible. I had one guy that I used to talk to a lot who was an, I wouldn't just say an unbeliever, he's a non-believer. And he called the Bible sausage. Which means somebody just took a bunch of ingredients and put it together and wrapped it in a slimy skin. And it's just a bunch of stuff. He would do well to pay attention to what the eyewitness is saying. Maybe today you're sitting here and you're going, yeah, 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 sausage, yeah. You would do well to pay attention to what Peter's saying today. 
He's telling you what happened truly and historically. And you would do well to pay attention. And he says that it would be good and right to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Anybody lose power over the weekend? Lights go out. What are you looking for? Light. Give me a light. Give me a light. No, no. Give me a flashlight. Give me a torch. Because I need some light. Peter's saying what I'm saying, you would do well to pay attention to as to a light shining in a dark place. Again, that's pretty straightforward. If you're in the dark, you have to access light. It would be good and right to pay attention to that lamp. It shows you the way. (laughs) It makes a visible path in the darkness and without it you're in darkness. If you're not paying attention to the light that Peter's talking about here today, you're in darkness. John says some people love the darkness and choose the darkness instead of coming to the light. Maybe that's where you're at today. But the light shows, shows you the way when you're in darkness. And not much is as appreciated as a lamp when it's dark. Peter says the confirmation he and the apostles provide of the confirmed prophetic word is like that lamp. They're lighting the way for us. And then he says that this lamp should light your way until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. There will come a day when this lamp Peter's referring to will not be needed anymore. He compares it to the dawning of the day. This is almost certainly referring to the day of the Lord when Jesus is visibly king over all and everything's made right. No need for a lamp anymore. There's darkness till then, but after that there's no more night, Revelation says. No more darkness. The Lamb is the light. Jesus is the Lamb. And Peter adds, and the morning star rises in your heart. There's the general dawn and then there's the specific dawn for each and every person. It gets light a little later down in our valley. So the sun rises at blank, 7 o'clock. Well, in hell, it's more like 7.08 because we're down in the valley. We're in this little bowl. And so for us, it happens in our own hearts. It happens for us. The specific dawn for each and every person. Peter says, follow the lamp until then, until all is made right, and even your own heart is finally and fully right. And then verse 20 continues this thought and doubles back on the prophecy part of what he's saying. Now pay attention here. Pay attention. He says in verse 20, knowing this first of all, listen, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. He's been saying that the apostles have the prophetic word more fully confirmed and now he makes sure that his readers know that the prophecy wasn't ever not valid before it was more fully confirmed. It wasn't ever not true even before Jesus did all he did to confirm it. Knowing this first of all, he says, establishing precedence, priorities, start here. No prophecy of Scripture in the whole Bible, in the whole book comes from someone's own interpretation. Now this is big. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Prophecy in the Bible consists of foretelling and forthtelling. Foretelling is God saying that something is going to happen before it happens. That's foretelling. Told it before. Forth 
telling is a man, a man speaking God's heart and mind and words out loud for others to see and hear. That's the two types of prophecy in Scripture. And in the Bible, anytime either of these things happen, it's never from someone's own interpretation. No man figured things out. No man said they think this is what God is like or this is what God is thinking or maybe this is something God might have said or something God will do. No prophet or person, not Moses, not David, not, a, not Isaiah, nor anyone else who penned any Old Testament book nor anyone who wrote any of the New Testament books, none of them said anything that was just from them. Well, that was just Paul. No! I am so sick of hearing that. That's why this is so important. Paul wasn't speaking from his own interpretation. He said that. He said, what I received, I gave to you. It wasn't from their own interpretation. Instead, Peter says in verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but... Men spoke from God, oh my, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Younger people, please listen to this and try to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, understand this. Everybody, yes. But settle this argument this morning. Because it's so important. We've already had Peter say that he can confirm from personal experience as an eyewitness that Jesus was glorified and received divine affirmation from God the Father Himself as a voice from the cloud called Jesus His Son. Peter said, I saw that. I heard that. It happened. Now, with Peter saying that no prophecy is from any person's figuring things out or offering good guesses about what God is like, and now here, Peter says that none of those prophecies, none of them were ever produced by the will of man. None of them were constructed or proffered by man on his own. But, Peter says, listen, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Every word of that is important to understand. So it wasn't man, but... Instead of man, the opposite of man, not the will of man, but men spoke. Okay, wait a minute. It wasn't man, but men spoke. Men were involved. Don't miss that. But men spoke. Men were involved, but they didn't will any of this. They spoke. They gave voice to the prophecy. They spoke it or wrote it down. The words left their mouth or their pens. But look, but men spoke from God. That might be the biggest word in this passage, from that little Greek preposition is A-P-O. Apo. Listen, this is what it means. It means of separation of a part from the whole. Sit with that a second. Men spoke from God. They, took, they separated a part of God from the whole of God. It was His words. They took God's words from God. And what they spoke, what they wrote was from God. Men spoke from God. They took a part from the whole of God and spoke it out. Men spoke words from God and God speaking to them and through them. They took God's words and spoke them. All of these prophecies were men 
taking from God. They took God's words and spoke them. But men spoke from God. So how's that work? Well, Peter says that works as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Wow. These men spoke God's words as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now I'd say we need to know what that means. That's next week. I'm just kidding. No, we're going to do that. John MacArthur says this concerning this clause generally and the phrase carried along specifically. Quote, It's a present passive participle. It means that they were continually carried along, continually borne along. The same verb is used in Acts 27 twice in verses 15 and 17 of a ship that's blown along by the wind, just moved along. This is the way to look at it. MacArthur says, The prophets raised their sails. They raised their spiritual sails and the Holy Spirit filled those sails with His breath and blew everything along in the direction that the Holy Spirit chose for them to go and they wrote as they were moved along under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's good, but I don't think it's enough. I love what Thomas Schreiner says here, which reiterates what MacArthur says, but expands on it. Now this is a little longer quote. I'll start the quote, then I'll end the quote. Now listen, stay engaged here. Thomas Schreiner says this, We have strong biblical support here for what B.B. Warfield calls concursus. Both human beings and God were fully involved in the process of inspiration. The personality and gifts of the human authors were not squelched or suppressed. We can detect their different literary styles even today. And yet the words they spoke do not cancel out the truth that they spoke the Word of God. Concursus means that both God and these human words, both God and human beings contributed to the prophetic Word. Ultimately, however, and most significantly, these human words are God's words. The prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The verb for carry is used twice in this verse. The verb is also used twice in uh, verses 17 and 18 to designate the divine voice that came from God during the transfiguration. Same, same, Same verb there. He mentions Acts 27 as well. And he says this. Now this is where he increases on what MacArthur says. Perhaps we cannot press the analogy of the prophets being carried as a ship sails are caught up by the wind, but... The word certainly conveys the idea that the prophets were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter, of course, referred only to the prophets here, but by extension we are justified in concluding that what Peter said about the prophets is also true of the New Testament canon. These writers also spoke from God and were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And listen to this statement. Last, This is the end of the quote after I finish reading this sentence. Evangelical theology rightly infers from this passage, from this verse, that the Scriptures are authoritative, infallible, and inerrant for God's words must be true. End of quote. To which I say, yeah, that. So all in all, Peter's saying that no man just put some words or thoughts out there But rather, those men, these men that we're speaking of, were literally breathed on by the Holy Spirit of God and spoke His words through their mouths, through their pens. God used men to say what He wanted said. 
And those men put ink to paper and wrote down exactly what God wanted said. That's what your Bible is. Making your Bible the words of God. Written and or spoken by men. And back to where Peter had started, he knew the truth and glory and power of this God as exhibited by the transfiguration and the life and the ministry of Jesus himself. Peter was an eyewitness and he was sharing what he himself could verify. God didn't give him some vision in a cave somewhere. It was lived out in flesh and blood through men. And men wrote it down. And we would all do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So we turn to application. Three V's. V. Verified. Voice. And verdict. Verified. Voice and verdict. Verdict is V-E-R-D-I-C-T if you're taking notes. If you're a Pennsylvanian, that's a Herpodges joke. First application point is verified. Peter said, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths, but we saw it. And what we're telling you is what we saw, what we heard. Listen to me, listen. The Bible is true. And the Bible is written by eyewitnesses. Let me tell you what, if you've got one eyewitness account in a court of law, you're probably going to win that court case. One person says, no, I saw it. Tell me what you saw. I saw this. So this person is guilty of this. I saw it. Is that the man? Yes, that's the man. I saw him. I know that it was him. He had a little mole right here on his head. Actually, it's not a little mole. Where is it? <laughs> there it is. I saw the mole. I saw him. That's him. Same mole, same place. Same ugly mug. That's him. Peter's saying, We saw it. And I just can't stop reminding you of what we've seen and heard. I saw him alive after he was dead. He told me to go into all the world and make disciples. I saw him ascend into heaven and an angel came down and said, why are you staring up in the sky? The same Jesus who just went up into heaven is going to come in the same way, but y'all got stuff to do. Go on. It's the Appalachian version. It's true and it's verified by eyewitnesses. Not cleverly devised myths. Eyewitness accounts. John 1. 1 to 5 and 14 to 18. John says this. John who was with Peter on the mountain. And this is probably part of him saying what he saw. In the beginning was the Word, capital W. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. Look at that. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. 
John says, glory as of the only Son from the Father. He's full of grace and truth. And then he says, John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out, this is he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, John says, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, this one that we've seen, this one that we've beheld His glory, He has made God known. John's like, I saw Him. I saw His glory. Nobody's ever seen God, but I've seen God in the person of Jesus Christ. John says this in 1 John 1-4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, that's a sense, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. I know probably was saying it's not right to talk about taste and smell here. We won't talk, we'll talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. What we've touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Part of the joy of enjoying something is sharing that joy with other people. And that's what John's doing here. That's what Peter's saying. I just got to tell you what I saw because I want you to enjoy it with me. I got to tell you about Jesus because I want you to enjoy Him with me. It's verified. Listen, church, it's all true. The Bible, the prophets, the law, the gospels, the epistles. What Peter said in verses 3 to 11 about partakers of the divine nature and everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, it's all true. And it's all verified by eyewitness accounts. And that changes everything. Everything. It changes everything in your life. It changes everything in your mind. It changes everything that comes out of your mouth. It changes everything you do. Because it's true. And you're accountable for it. And it's available to you and for you. We're not guessing. We're not hoping that this turns out to be true. It's true. It's verified. By the people who were there. What we're going to celebrate next week with the resurrection. Hey, guess what? It's true. It happened. It's history. It's not a cleverly devised myth. It's true. It's the truth. And by the way, like I said earlier, the resurrection was verified by over 500 witnesses who saw Him at one time. 500. 500 people. 500 eyewitnesses. That's a lot of eyewitnesses, y'all. One's really good. 500 is ironclad. You're like, well, I don't believe them. 
that's on you. All they're doing is telling you what they saw. Heard. Touched. Felt. It's all true. God made sure all that needed seen was seen. But He wasn't just satisfied with people seeing it. It had to be shared. Which leads to our next point. Verified, now voice. Oh, listen. Listen. God spoke. You're like, yeah, He spoke on that mountainside, but that's not all. That app that you've got that says Holy Bible, those books that you've got collecting dust on your shelf at home that say Holy Bible, that's God speaking. Every passage we've looked at today, that's God speaking. Those are the very words of God. We cannot overstate the importance of the Bible. Two Testaments, the Old Testament, the New Testament. 66 books written by 40-ish people over a period of, oh, 2,000, 4,000, about 4,000 years. The canon closed after Jesus came and manifested everything He manifested and after His apostles wrote down what needed written down in the supervision, in the very breath of God. We need to know these things as the very words of God. These things we find in the Scriptures. And we need to value them. Like the psalmist who says, I I need your law. I want your word more than I want my necessary food. This is not Jason speaking. This is God speaking today. I don't care. I hope that's not you. I hope it's not me. We need to value the words of God. We need to value the God of the Word. Those words that are found in our 66 books of Scripture. And you want to to track how that book came to be? I encourage you to do it. It will shake your faith. And then it will make it ironclad. How God, through the course of a couple hundred years, said, this is what I want people to know. This is me. These are my words. These are the words of the apostles that I gave them to share with other people. I challenge you. Go. Go. Investigate it. Investigate it from both sides. Skeptics and those who believe it. I dare you to do it. And after you don't believe, you'll believe by the grace of God. Romans 15.4 For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 Couldn't not say this today. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped uh, be complete, equipped for every good work, everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. It's true. And they're the very words of God. I want to read the end of that Shriner quote again. The word certainly conveys the idea that the prophets were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter, of course, referred only to the prophets here, but by extension, 
We are justified in concluding that what Peter said about the prophets is also true of the New Testament canon. These writers also spoke from God and were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Evangelical theology rightly infers from this that the scriptures are authoritative, infallible, and inerrant, for God's words must be true. We've got eyewitnesses and we've got the very voice of God confirming it. So the question comes down to, third point, the verdict. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the voice of God? What are you going to do with 500 plus eyewitnesses to all this? Disbelieve it? Poo-poo it away? Not important in our time and day? May it never be. People saw it. God spoke it. It's true. And you're accountable for it. What are you going to do with these words of God? What are you going to do with these eyewitnesses' accounts of His majesty and glory? What are you going to do with the command to repent and be saved? Because those are the very words of God. And I'll ask you again before we read these last two passages, what do you believe about Jesus and why? Well, I believe he was a good preacher. Why, why, do you, why do you believe that? Well, I believe he was a man, but he wasn't God. Why do you believe that? I believe he was the Son of God. Why do you believe that? Cleverly devised myths? You think you're smart enough to figure it all out? Good luck. I love you enough to say God has spoken. And you're accountable for what God has said. What will your verdict be about the eyewitness accounts? What will your verdict be about the voice of God that still rings out true today through the words of the Scripture? What's your verdict? 2 Corinthians 5.10 Listen, these are the words of God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians 6, 1-2 Working together with Him, then, Paul says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for He says, God says, in a favorable time I listen to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now, is the day of salvation. So believer and or unbeliever, what are you going to do with it? What's your verdict? You can walk out that door. Heck, you can go out the back door if you want. You can go out this door. That's only three options you go to get out. Whatever door you walk out today, you will have walked out Rendering your verdict on the eyewitness accounts, on the very voice of God speaking. Unbeliever, please don't walk out the doors. Rendering a verdict of I don't believe it and I don't care. Believer, you're accountable to this too. What are you going to do tomorrow morning with the Word of God, with the eyewitness accounts? What can I do? But thank you. What can I do but give my life to you? Hallelujah. 
What can I do but praise you? Every day, make everything I do a hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've seen Him, we've touched Him, we've heard Him. Now what are you going to do with it? Let's pray. Father, we do depend wholeheartedly on the power of Your Spirit to breathe life into dead people, to convict believers who are alive by Your grace, and to give us the power and the strength and the want to to do Your will, Your will which is fully revealed in Your Word through people who were eyewitnesses to Your glory. God, we need You. We desperately need You to reveal these things and to help us live them out, to help us repent, to help us be faithful with what You've given us. And You have given us everything we need. And we say thank You. And ask Your blessing on this Word. It is Your Word. And we know and proclaim, because You said it, that Your Word will not return to You void. It will not return to You until it has accomplished what You sent it out to do. So we trust You. And we love you and ask you to do these things and give you the glory that belongs to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, hallelujah, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, hallelujah, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay.